Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a conversation with best-selling St. Louis author Curtis Sittenfeld. She is best known as a novelist and for earlier works such as American Wife, Sisterhood, and Eligible, and others. Now she's taken a new direction with publication of a collection of short stories. It is titled, You Think It, I'll Say It. We welcome Curtis Sittenfeld to the studio. Well, congratulations. You're at it again. (laughs) Thank you for having me on the show. It's getting a lot of nice positive attention. Again, congratulations for that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to to ask you about the title because I know it's relevant to one of your stories in particular because it's a game that uh, a couple plays. But does it tie uh, any of the other stories uh, together? I think it does. So so you're right that there's a story that actually the story itself is called The World Has Many Butterflies. And in it, there's a man and a woman who are married to other people. But when they see each other, they play this game that she thinks of as I'll think it, you say it, where she sort of makes judgmental comments about people they mutually know um, as if she's speaking on behalf of both of them. But then whether that's true gets called into question as the as the story unfolds. Um, but in a larger sense, uh, you know, I guess my hope is that maybe I'm saying some of the unspeakable things that, that readers might think or that people might think when they're walking around in daily life. And so it's sort of supposed to be a comment on the stories themselves, all the stories, and not just that one specific story. It is very true that most of us, I think, think this way. We'll, we'll have these uh, – we, we don't express them as these people do in the game, but we do think that way about some people we come across. You you have uh, the, the beginning of that chapter you can read for us, I think, which helps us explain that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, huh? yeah, I would, I would be delighted to. Yeah. So this is just the first paragraph of the second story. Julie and Graham had known each other for eight years before they ever played I'll Think It, You Say It. Then they played I'll Think It, You Say It for a year before Julie decided, decided, realized, idiotically fabricated the belief that she was in love with Graham. Graham worked at the same investment banking firm in Houston as Julie's husband. Also, their respective kids all attended the same private school, which meant Julie and Keith saw Graham and his wife Gail regularly in a way that for almost a decade had barely registered with Julie. They showed up at the same soccer games and school fundraisers and Christmas parties and dinner parties. Excuse me. Um, They greeted one another in a friendly fashion. And in retrospect, Julie went over it repeatedly, that innocent earlier era before she became obsessed She thought of Graham as slightly more appealing than most men, but neither fascinating nor smolderingly handsome. All right. And and then we we go from there. You know, I have to tell you, Curtis, I've read Sisterhood and I've read Eligible. Uh, I didn't blush in those books, but but I do a couple of times in in this one. I think it's almost more surprising that you didn't blush reading those (laughs) than you did blush with this. It's pretty saucy. Uh, it's well, you know. I, I guess I think saucy is, I guess, subjective. But yeah, it's true that it's there are scenes that take there are sort of sexual scenes. There are scenes um, that include bodily functions. There are <laughs> scenes where people make cringe-inducing confessions. I know it's I, it's it is a little bit mysterious to me, even why I choose to write about the subjects, why I like embrace well, embarrassingness and awkwardness. They they do say that sex sells. So are you, are you aware of that when you're composing? Uh, 
Um, I mean, sure. Like it would be it would be ridiculous. Like I will say that <laughs> there are times when um, you know I think sometimes a review will say this is like salacious or this is, and and I will think like okay, you just sold me you know a hundred more copies of this mm-hmm. book, but I would never. I I, re- I think sincerely when I write a story or a novel. I try to include what I think advances the story and makes it interesting and makes you know me want to keep writing and a reader keep reading. And I don't think that I would it's, – it's actually very hard to game the publishing system. And so I don't think that I would ever include a sex scene in the ho- hope of selling more books. I would include – this sounds so pretentious, but I swear it's true. I would include it because I think that it – it sort of um, provides like psychological insight into the characters. Mm-hmm. Does that sound plausible? Yeah, yeah of course it does. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but if you want to talk salacious, let's just read the newspaper every day, oh either God. in Missouri or nationally. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I know this is like do you, do you blush when you when you have to read the news out loud? Actually, I've gotten over that. I might have. <laughs> <laughs> I might have early on, and I don't blush all that easily. By the, by the way, you, you you begin and end the book with certain references. Speaking of of national politics, uh, with references to our our, our president, um, what were you thinking when you bring Donald Trump into your stories, even if it's kind of just peripherally? Well, I think that so as you're as you're describing the first story in the book. It describes this interaction between uh, a female professor who's on a work trip and her male shuttle driver from the airport. And he's a Trump supporter and she's a Hillary supporter. And they kind of have this conversation before it turns salacious. <laughs> um, and then um, the last story is about a man and woman who went to high school together who reconnect after the 2016 election. And and that election sort of influences the way that they interact. Um, I mean, I I think that this does feel like a very strange time to be alive culturally and politically. And and I think that the zeitgeist just worked its way into my fiction. Like, I I think Mm -hmm. one of my favorite um, comments about fiction was made by the director of the Iowa Writers Workshop when I was there, uh, Frank Conroy. And he would say, writing fiction is this combination of knowing what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I do feel as if my subjects or my topics choose me as much as I choose them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting with regard to your subjects and all of the characters in in this uh, collection of short stories are really quite unremarkable in the sense that they're just plain folks like most people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, sometimes if I'm kind <clears throat> of joking about the book and someone says, what's it about? I say it's about grumpy Midwestern women. But mm-hmm. I, I think that all of us are complex, like everyone who's an adult and probably most children, too. And I and I try to I think that you can be an ordinary person and still also be a psychologically complicated mm-hmm. person who has lots of conflicted feelings, and, and that's what I try to capture in my fiction. Why short stories? I mean, you've, you've turned from the other genre, the novel, um, and uh, why did you decide to do this? Well, so I always loved short stories, and actually, I started writing fiction when I was probably about seven, and, and from the time I was seven to the time I was 25, I would say I exclusively wrote short stories, I mean, many of which I didn't finish, but... Um, 
and then I kind of got tracked to writing novels. Like my first book was a novel. Mm-hmm. I was offered more contracts to write novels by my publishing house. I, I love novels, but my sort of affection for the short story never went away. I mean, it was it was almost like I didn't have that much time to write them. And then in 2016, after my last novel, Eligible, came out, I just decided to kind of take a breather and maybe work on some of these stories that had been bouncing around inside me. Like I'd been collecting ideas for the last decade or so. You know, it it seems to me that any one of the 10 stories in your book could have been a novel. You could could have been expanded to, to be a novel. I think that's probably true. I mean, I think, thank you, first of all. But I, I, I yeah, I mean, in a way, like for me, if somebody says, well, what, what, how do you know if an idea is appropriate for a novel or a story? I would say, a, a short story, it's more like a moment or something fleeting. And a novel is a is a topic that I just feel sort of obsessed with or consumed with interest. Mm. And, and I feel like I could address it in infinite ways. But that said, I think you're right. Some of these could be expanded. The, uh, the, the uh, length of time it takes to write a novel obviously is obvious because it's, a, you know, it's much, much longer. But I'm, I'm wondering if the short story writing is, is perhaps in some ways harder because you have to tell a, a complicated story uh, in fewer sentences. So I think the answer to that is yes and no. Like on the one hand, you know, in, among people in the writing community, sometimes uh, people will say the hardest thing to write is a poem because every word must count. And and I sort of subscribe to that and sort of don't. Like I, I think, I mean, the, it takes me a few weeks or months to write a short story and it takes mm-hmm. me a few years to write a novel. Yeah. That said, there can be sort of, soft parts in a novel or you can you know you don't want there to be but but it doesn't always have to feel super like tense and propulsive and I think that in a short story it is more like every scene has to count every sentence has to count there shouldn't be as much kind of like flab so to speak but there's less time to develop a character, and the characters are, are are so important. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, one thing that I've taken as a as a big compliment is a lot of people have said to me, which I mean, I, I feel mixed about this because I love short stories, but some people have said, I really don't like short stories, but I like this book. Mm-hmm. And I think one reason they're saying that is that they are able to feel emotionally invested in the character's even in a relatively short period of time. And I think it's because, in some ways, it's because (laughs) they're getting access to very personal information about these characters. Mm -hmm. And the characters, for the most, the protagonists, if you will, in each of these stories, are female. So in eight out of ten, there are, and then there's actually a story set in St. Louis, but of course, and that one has a male narrator and then one other one it's sort of told in the third person but I, I guess I would say that that's that probably has a male protagonist too is it difficult for a female writer to get into the male head uh, the, you know in developing the character it's not difficult for this female writer to, no, I'm just I mean it's always like I would say no I did not find it particularly challenging you know it's it's subjective whether I succeeded in capturing the male viewpoint. I mean, of course, because of my name, because my first name is Curtis, throughout my career, people have sometimes assumed I'm a man, and they'll say, you have amazing insight into the female psyche, but then they're less impressed when they find out that I, in fact, am a woman. I have to take a break. We'll do that now. We're talking with author Curtis Sittenfeld, uh, author of You Think It, I'll Say It. If you'd like to get into this conversation with our 
not a homegrown author, but she's been living here for 11 years, give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Or if you would prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. Back to continue this conversation in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back to our conversation with Curtis Sittenfeld, author of You Think It, I'll Say It. You know, I have a quote here from one of the one of uh, the reviewers of your book. He said, after your long-form work, about which we talked earlier, this book is like speed dating. <laughs> Curtis <laughs> Sittenfeld. <laughs> what do you make of that? Well, I do think that short stories can contain this energy and momentum that – Maybe it's a little harder for novels to contain. So I would I would say thank you to that assessment. Yeah, it's it's certainly flattering. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. flattering. Now it's also my understanding, Curtis, that uh, you've had some nibbles from the world of show business for maybe taking some of this and putting it on the screen. Yeah. So um, I am delighted to say that uh, Reese Witherspoon and her production company optioned the work, and um, they're developing it. A writer, a super talented writer named Colleen McGinnis, is developing it as a show for Apple TV, um, which is supposed to be, I think, sort of the next Netflix, and it's supposed to star Kristen Wiig. So it's, you know, fingers crossed it would be thrilling uh, for that to come to pass. What, what do you know about that, about that process? I mean, what would they take from these ten short stories, or would they would they involve th- this work at all? Yeah, so so they would take the characters and a lot of the plots and sort of mush them together, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they would make some of the characters who are pretty separate in the stories know each other or maybe be old friends, and and they would just kind of use the material to sort of establish, I guess, like the the setting and the the mm-hmm. who the people are and it, but it's so it would not be completely faithful to the stories, but it would be adapted from them. And I think trying to kind of capture the tone, the sort of, you know, forty something ennui in mm-hmm. the stories. And this would be a series you're we're talking yeah, about? Yeah. So it would be it would be the kind of series um that has, you know, maybe 10 episodes for five mm. years. I mean, you know, from, from my mouth to God's ears, yeah, right, but right, we'll right. see. <laughs> well, uh, great for binge-watching, then. That's what, yeah. that's what could be said. Would you be involved in the process at all, or would you want to be? So I would be involved. I think that, that contractually I have a title that I, I should commit this to memory. It's it's like, you know, consulting producer or something like that. That's probably not exactly what it is. Um, and I think that I would probably go out and visit. Like I think the writer's room will exist in July and I'll go visit. And it's certainly conceivable that I would write an episode, but I would not – quit writing mm-hmm. fiction and move to L.A. and mm-hmm. write for TV full-time. Like, I, that's not something that's going to happen. I've talked to a number of authors who have gone through a process like this where they sold uh, screen rights and what have you, and often they are not involved. Most of the time, they're not involved in the process, but, and often they are disappointed when they see what the final product is. I mean, is that something that would concern you, or would you insist on having some right to make that not happen? 
Well, the short answer to the question is no. I do. I do not have much control over the process, which which is actually liberating for me. You know, it's not really my mm-hmm. responsibility. I have a lot of faith in the people behind this. Like, I think that you know, I have very high regard for Reese Witherspoon, whom, by the way, I've never met. Like, people say, "What's Reese Witherspoon like?" And I, I say, like, you know, I've heard great things, but I, it's not as if she and I are mm-hmm. close friends texting each other. Um, so, yeah, it's I don't worry about that. I mean, I, I think that I couldn't ask for more talented people to be involved. And also, it's it's there. Like, I'm really uptight and controlling about my books. And I, like, yeah. will kind of sort of say to my editor, like, I think this comma does not belong uh-huh. here and be very self-righteous. But then once it goes into the world, and especially if it's if it's in an entirely different format, it's it's open to interpretation. And I'm fine with that. So, some authors I've spoken with say it's like like giving up your baby. I, I have to say, I then then like don't give up your baby. Yeah. I mean, like it's like, uh, no no writer is obligated well, to sign away her, the rights to her. But and and it's honestly like I, I mean to me that sounds like a preposterous statement. Well, well, money talks. I think that oftentimes you know they're given a, an offer they can't refuse. To quote another, well, uh, I have novel. to. <laughs> but st- okay, I'm sorry, but like if you. You can take a lot of money or you can complain about giving up your baby, but I don't see how you, <laughs> you can do both. I don't know. Maybe talk to me in five years and I'll, I'll you know, have something different to say. Mm-hmm. But that it just, I just feel like, I don't know, there are worse problems to have than, than your book being developed into a TV show or a movie that does not reflect your exact yeah. vision. Tell me about the process of – you mentioned working with an editor. Uh, how does that work and how much control does an editor have over your work? Well, I think it does vary from, you know, writer to writer and editor to editor. My process is that I write pretty much a complete, well, usually I think I write a complete entire book on my own. Sometimes if if the book has like three sections, maybe I would write only one section and then touch base with my editor. Um, but I like it for it. I like to take the work as far as I can on my own, show it to my editor, typically she would read it and give – like sometimes she'll write like a 20-page letter and say these mm-hmm. are things that you could change. And I, I think – I've never sort of asked her this precisely. But I think that if she sends me a 20-page letter with 15 suggestions, I think that she expects me to take maybe nine of the suggestions. Mm-hmm. And then based on that, that will sort of change the whole manuscript in a way that maybe some of the other suggestions don't even apply anymore or don't don't need to be addressed. Um, and and then there's like another round of edits after that. At that point, it's probably less significant. But mm-hmm. so that's that's the sort of rough version of how it works for me. Could, could you give me an example of, of of maybe where you 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 were locking horns on something? Uh, it, well, okay. So my novel mm-hmm. Sisterland, which is set in St. Louis, my, when I turned in a draft to my editor, I think it was about 500 manuscript pages, so double space type pages. And she said, she, I mean, she was really positive, and she said, I want you to cut 200 pages. And I said, well, do you, are you saying you want me to cut 200 because then you think I'll cut 100? And she said, no, I want you to cut, a, I want you to cut 200. Mm-hmm. And so I cut 120, but then I added like 20 back. <laughs> but she did feel that I had addressed 
the sort of like I think she just felt like certain stretches almost like I was taking three pages to describe like removing a child from a car seat and she felt like that just wasn't Mm -hmm. literarily justified uh so but I have to say publishing is an incredibly respectful industry in my experience and and editors tend to to sort of say these are suggestions, but I don't know if they like quote unquote make me yeah. or anyone else do anything. And I think that they they respect the artistic creativity of writers, at least in my experience. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask: was who ultimately has the final say? If you are at uh, loggerheads on something, does the author have the final say? It might vary from situation to situation, but it's my impression that I have the final say. But I also – I listen very carefully to what my editor says. And and sometimes I get, you know, a 20-page letter and and in the first moments I'm filled with dismay. And then after I've absorbed it for a few days, I think, OK, she's right about almost everything. So – but I, I do think that I can – if I refuse to do something, she can kind of say, well, I, I don't think that this is – Right, but it, but it is subjective, and so she'll say, "Well, oh, okay." <laughs> Are many editors authors themselves? Yeah, so no. I mean, one example: there's a writer, who, a person whom I adore, named David Ebershoff, and he was an editor for decades at Random House, and then also writes fiction on his own. He's been very successful. I think his most recent novel is The Nineteenth Wife. Um, that's sort of a, a novel of early Mormonism. Um, and there are other examples I can think of. I mean, most most writer, most editors, I think, are passionate readers more than writers themselves, mm-hmm. but some are both. Do you have any favorite themes? I, I, in this book, uh, I, I've noticed that infidelity pops up a few, <laughs> a few times. Uh, homosexuality also <laughs> works its way in. And also, there seems to be a lot of attention to people's looks, what they look like, and concerns about what they look like. Well, um, Don, thank you for noticing. My favorite themes actually are homosexuality, infidelity, and physical appearance. <laughs> I've been waiting for someone to, to point that out publicly. Um, so I think that something I'm interested in is the sort of discrepancy between our our lives as we sort of privately or personally experience them and then the the way we present ourselves publicly, whether in real life or on social media, um, and how there can be a discrepancy between the two. And, and there can be this huge gulf between how we're acting and how we feel emotionally or, you know, how we behave with a person and what we really think of them. And, and so I do think, I mean, if you're asking, like, I think that the topic of marriage, for example, is mm-hmm. endlessly interesting. And something I think about is, you know, I, I feel like there's some unknowability about anyone else's marriage or anyone else's, you know, romantic relationship. Um, And it's unknowable to anyone except the two people in it. And maybe it's unknowable Mm -hmm. (laughs) to them, too. Um, So, yeah, it's that's certainly in the story collection. What 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 about your process? Do you get up at five o'clock in the morning (laughs) and write write a thousand (laughs) words and then have a cup of coffee, go back to bed or whatever? (laughs) 
Um, no, I do, I do not. I, I mean, sometimes if I wake up at five in the morning, it's like by accident and I, I wish I hadn't. And, and then I'm, I'm like ruminating about the state of the world. Um, I, I have kids and I, you know, my kids go to school in the morning and then I write. And m- most writers, even writers who are considered sort of full-time writers, write for a few hours a day, like three or maybe four. It's it's unusual to write for eight hours a day. Um, so I try to, I think that my brain is sharper in the morning. And so I try to write in the morning and then in the afternoon, maybe do more like respond to emails or go to schnooks. <laughs> do, do you think that social media is is having any impact on future writers in terms of the way people are communicating these days, if in fact writing is a skill that maybe is enhanced by it or perhaps just the opposite? Um, Yeah, I'm sure that we're all affected by social media. I mean, in a way, even if you're not on social media, you're still affected by social media Mm -hmm. and even maybe by your own absence from it. And, And yes, I think that it probably is affecting people's writing. I don't I would not know how to quantify the way it's affecting people's mm-hmm. writing. But yes, I, I can't imagine that it's not. Well I think in terms of, of that which I see, which uh uh, sentences are kind of uh, emasculated, if you will, in terms of people write in shorthand anymore, and whether that is having any uh, could have an effect on writing skill. Yeah, it's interesting because I know what you're saying, but then there are other times when, like, I'll think about how I communicate in an email versus how I communicate in a text. And in a way, or in a tweet, a text forces you to be concise. And that Mm, is actually a skill. And there are times Mm. when when you think, like, it's amazing how much you can distill information down to just a few words. The the, the, uh, books that you read are... What what what's your favorite thing to relax with? I like to read about um, homosexuality, infidelity, <laughs> and physical appearances. So any books that continue. No. My favorite writer is the Canadian short story writer Alice Munro, um, mm. who won the Nobel Prize not too long ago. She's she's a fantastic writer. I just read this amazing new short story collection called A Lucky Man by a writer named Jamel Brinkley. And it's his first book. He's, I think he's in his 30s. I'm not sure. But it's, he's a phenomenal talent. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I read, I, I definitely read more fiction than nonfiction. But I'm, I think I'm pretty open-minded in terms mm-hmm. of the sort of topic or the author. Yeah. Your, your final story in the book, Do Over, uh, is up for a major award, as I understand it, in the world of short story writing. <laughs> it's kind of a, a niche world. Um, so I actually went to London a couple weeks ago. I, the, the story was one of six shortlisted stories for uh, a big prize, and I did not win the big prize, <laughs> but it was an honor just yeah. to be nominated. And and I will say, if you if if listeners want to Google this, the story that did win is called I think it's called Peanuts Are Not Nuts by a writer named Courtney Zoffness Z O F F N E S S, and it's a great story. So mm. if I wasn't going to win, I'm glad that 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 story did. What do awards like this mean to to authors? Are they important? That's an interesting question. I mean, I have to admit, since I have not really won any awards, I don't 
know what they mean. <laughs> I mean, I've had, I have had like, you know, sort of recognition of my books. And I think it can mean different things to different authors. Mm-hmm. Like, truthfully, my impression is that Courtney Zoffness had, has not previously published a book. And so mm-hmm. I would say it greatly increases the chance that she will be offered a, a book deal for mm-hmm. a story collection or a novel. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, I guess I guess they sort of flatter one's ego or they they it was through the, the newspaper, the British newspaper, the, the, it's the Sunday Times. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason that uh, particular prize gets attention is that it has it's it's you're awarded potentially if you win, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're awarded a actually huge sum of money for one short story. Mm-hmm. So it's like 30,000 pounds, which I think is like $50,000. But Again, that, that money did not go into my bank account, yeah. but it, but it, but I had a nice trip to London. <laughs> yeah. And the story Doover was was one of one of my favorites in the in the book, uh, in, involving a couple meeting of high school rivals, I guess you would call them, twenty five years later, and, and very brutal in the the honesty that is evoked in their in their getting together. Well, I think that you know you and I have been talking about how sometimes we think things and don't express them. And I think that this this man and woman end up having a conversation where she does express the things you're sort of not supposed to express. And, and the story is kind of about what, what happens when you, you know, violate those norms mm. of conversation. Yeah, very good story. The other one that I liked so much was concerning the up-and-coming movie star uh, being interviewed by a woman for a, a feature in a magazine. And uh, it, it, it cons, cons the journalist, if you will. Well, so the story is called Off the Record. And I I have worked as a journalist. I mean, for mm-hmm. I've been – for most of my adult life, I've been a fiction writer. But um, I think that there is – when a journalist is interviewing a subject, it's very – it's an interesting, complicated dynamic that can be very kind of personal and intimate, not in inappropriate ways, just because of that's that's the way it's structured. And and that, you know, like the journalist has to sort of decide what to include, what not to include, how unkind or how generous to be. And, and so it's not the only time that I've written fiction sort of from the point of view of a journalist. And, and also, of course, there's something interesting where in an interaction with like that, that it's the the person being interviewed gets all the attention, but the other person has just just as many thoughts yeah, and feelings sure. inside them. Well, it's a great story, as all of them are. There's just to digress from this book. Uh, you think it? I'll say it. I wanted to ask you about American Wife, and that's going back a couple of books, needless to say. But this is a you know, it's the Laura Bush story, correct? Yes, yes. What kind of fallout came of that? Uh, was there any fallout from the Bush? folks. So American Wife was published in 2008, amazingly, yeah. 10 years ago. And, you know, is this re- fictional, loose retelling of the life of Laura Bush. Um, I would say I I don't, I would say I did not ever hear from the Bush camp. And if you think about it, there are other pop cultural depictions of the Bushes, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like Will Ferrell um, oh. on, on Saturday Night Live or there was the Oliver Stone movie W. So yeah. it's it's more like I think my book was tonally different from those. But but in some ways, it's actually comparable to maybe like the, the TV show The Crown and oh, its yeah. depiction of Queen Elizabeth. Like it's it's not an unprecedented thing 
to create fictitious portrayals of real people. And taking something like that on, though, I mean, there must be a certain trepidation about dealing with real people who are still alive who will probably will probably read it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't think that Laura Bush read the book. Like, she was asked in an interview if she had, and she said no. And I, I think that if you are that famous – you develop sort of mechanisms for for tuning out certain mm-hmm. kinds of information. So I believe that she didn't read it. But, I mean, yes, I, I, I felt like I was doing something complicated and tried to be respectful of that. What's next? Uh, f- funny you should ask. About infidelity, homosexuality. <laughs> I know. I know those, the plot. Those go without saying. <laughs> those are always features of my fiction. Um, I'm actually writing a novel about if – Hillary Rodham had gone to Yale Law School, met Bill Clinton, fallen in love with him. But in real life, she refused his marriage proposals multiple times. And I'm writing a novel about what if she had conclusively um, refused his marriage proposal and gone and sort of had her own life. So I'm doing exactly what we just discussed. Oh, wow. (laughs) And when, when can we look forward to that? That is an excellent, mysterious <laughs> question. I don't. I mean, maybe a year or two. Really? Well, we will look forward to it as we do all of your work. Uh, it's uh, so nice to see you again. And as I say, we'll look. What's the What's the title? Do you have a working title yet? The working title is Rodham. But if you If you have any ideas, I I welcome them. Uh, okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. Curtis Sittenfeld, thank you so much. Continue success for you. You're a wonderful writer, and we enjoy everything that you've done so far. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. I I should point out, if people want signed uh, copies of this book, they can do so through Left Bank Books, correct? Correct. Okay. You think it, I'll say it. That's the name of the book. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.